Well, we are so grateful for our worship leaders and for the dedication that they give each Sunday to lead us. And so I'm thankful for our time that we've had to sing and to lift our voices together. Let's continue our worship time as we now look at God's word and ask him to meet us in a very special way. Lord, now as we open your word, pray that you would continue to minister to our hearts, challenge us, and encourage us as we continue to see how you would have us to live in this world for your honor and for your glory. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use these words to further the gospel and that uh, you would protect us from anything that is not from you. But what is from you, use it in a very strategic way. Penetrate our hearts that uh, the seeds of the word of God would find fertile ground grow and produce much fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in the midst of a new series of messages um, on the letters of Jesus to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And it's called Seven Letters to Seven Churches. Most of our small groups are using a study guide to go along with the sermons uh, to help us to think about the concepts that uh, Jesus gives us in these letters. And uh, we are trusting that as we examine the context of these letters, that we will also be open to what God might be saying to us. And uh, as we think about uh, what Jesus is saying to us, we are reminded again that uh, the author of these letters is not Jesus. It's Jesus. And so as Jesus speaks to us, we are wise to listen. There's a question that many of us have heard before, but it's worth repeating for us and to think about. And that question is this. If you were accused of being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or to go specifically to John chapter 15... Does your vine produce the fruit that would be the fruit of a dedicated follower of Jesus? Now, the reason I ask this question is because of a verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that says this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Which means that if we have evidence in our lives to those around us that we belong to Jesus and that we follow Jesus and that we put Jesus first in our lives, people will notice, and Paul tells us that if people notice that we are a follower of Jesus, there will be some pushback for us. Now, in our American society in 2019, uh, that pushback is a little more subtle than we might think. But I would like to just say a word for our teenagers today. And for those of us who are concerned for our teenagers. The pushback on a teenager today is greater than most of the pushback For adults today, 
Because our teenagers, especially those who are going to the public schools or a public university, are inundated with all kinds of opportunity to be sucked in to all that is bad in our culture. They have a computer in their pockets that their friends could thrust in front of them with pictures, with text messages. There could be messages that are sent to them that are abusive. And I would ask all of us adults, can we keep our teenagers and our college students in our prayers? They, in my opinion, are on the front lines. And if they name the name of Jesus, if they are actively following the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what the Apostle Paul says, there will be pushback. And as they experience pushback, they need our support and our encouragement. Now, the history of pushback and suffering for naming the name of Jesus began shortly after the birth of the church with the arrest of uh, James the Apostle, and actually they put him to death, and then they arrested Peter and John and threw them into prison. It continued when believers were forced out of Jerusalem after the martyrdom of Stephen. Suffering for followers of Christ has been a mainstay of our of culture throughout history. William Tyndale was burned at the stake. If you can imagine being burned at the stake. As were John Huss, Joan of Arc, for refusing to bow to unbiblical theology. They were persecuted. They were experiencing the, the pushback of the gravest kind. In the 1900s, we saw more pushback on Christians than at any time in the history of the church. And in the 21st century, it's starting to ramp up again. And we will be beginning to experience that type of pushback again. The reason that I mention this today is because the church next to the one in Ephesus, the second of the seven churches that we're going to be addressing today, is addressed because they were experiencing pushback from their culture because of following Jesus. And they were experiencing what uh, Jesus uh, tells us to be thinking with them about and to encourage them in the midst of their suffering. Listen to what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who was the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty. Yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. You see, a real Jew, according to Jesus, would recognize him as the Messiah. But Jesus says, since they rejected me, they're really not Jews at all. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. There's a lot of discussion on what that ten days means. 
I really don't have a conclusive conclusion for myself. It's some type of a figure of speech. It's a period of time. There will be suffering. But it's only a period of time that will end. And we have that encouragement for us. He goes on. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. But be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt by the second death. In the first century, Smyrna's greatest notoriety was that it was the first city in the Roman Empire to be given permission to build a temple to the emperor. And so in Smyrna, there was emperor worship at its original time. Uh, Judaism was recognized as an acceptable religion in uh, the Roman Empire. And so the Jews were given an exemption because uh, Romans knew that the Jews could worship no one but Jehovah. But Christians were not given this privilege. Originally, Christianity was, was considered a sect of the Jews by the Romans. But when the Jews rejected Christ and began persecuting the Christians, then the Romans said, well, this, this must be a sect different from the Jews, so we're not going to give these Christians the privilege that we are given to the Jews. And so we're going to require them to worship the emperor as well. Well, when Domitian became emperor, he demanded emperor worship. And, and historians tell us that once a year, every Roman citizen had to burn incense and worship at the altar of the emperor. And failure to do so was death. And so people had to have their certificate available to them. And if someone stopped them and said, have you, have you worshipped the emperor and burned incense to the emperor yet? And if you couldn't say yes, they would take you in trial. And if you refused, you would be subject to capital punishment. So at the time when this letter to Smyrna was written, the Christians, the followers of Jesus, were experiencing suffering both from the Jews who persecuted them and from the Romans who persecuted them. They were between a rock and a hard place. And so Jesus uh, addresses this suffering that they were experiencing in Smyrna in this letter. And in verse 9, he explains what the suffering was like. He says, I know your affliction. Now, the affliction is a word that literally means serious trouble. It means to press or to squash or to feel pressure as to crush. And so when a person would experience persecution, not only was there the physical uh, uh, results of that persecution, that suffering, but there was the emotional stress of it to the point where your world was just coming in and was crushing you, all because you named the name of Jesus, which then caused poverty. Here Jesus is describing limited resources. These followers of Jesus were unable, some of them, to get a job. They would 
not be sold goods at the market. Their possessions were open to theft. And when someone would steal from them, the courts would say, well, you're a Christian. We're not going to defend you and prosecute those who stole from you. And so there was lots of poverty because of becoming a Christian. And then there was slander. Literally, this word means blasphemy. So the context of this type of suffering was religious. Because of your religious views, we are going to persecute you. And so it refers to the accusations of people who were following a religion that is unacceptable or even rebellious. And so these accusations were these Christians are rebelling. They're just a contrary, cantankerous group of people. And so there was affliction, and there was poverty, and there was slander. Pretty serious life in Smyrna to follow Jesus. But I'd like to suggest that all of this history needs to be understood in the context of the goal of the gospel. Like every other person who pushes back against Jesus, these are the people that Jesus is trying to reach out to. They are not the enemy. In fact, they were the ones believers were commissioned to reach out to. The real enemy is Satan. The real enemy is the one who is blinding their eyes, who is, who is keeping them from seeing and understanding the, the truth of the gospel. And so Jesus says that these people, if they're Jews that are put, they're from the synagogue of Satan. And so Jesus very clearly says, those people who are pushing back on you, they are not the enemy. They are victims of the enemy. And so I would suggest that we would do well to see through the surface issues of affliction and poverty and slander, as painful and difficult as they may be, and recognize that we are engaged in a spiritual battle for the souls of men and women. It's a spiritual battle, first for our own souls, then for the souls of our children, then for the souls of those who are in our circles that we rub shoulders with every day at school or at work or in our neighborhoods. We're engaged in a, an eternal conflict. And I hope we all recognize that it's worth engaging for the souls of our children and our friends and our families. I hope we recognize that it's worth paying the price because that is our commission. That's our goal. And if indeed we do show evidence of being a Christian, and if indeed someone is pushing back because we're a Christian, there's an opportunity because possibly someone is beginning to say, well, I don't know about this Christianity, and their first impulse is to push back, but perhaps God will give them a listening ear. And if we follow up on that pushback, Perhaps we'll find someone who might be willing to listen. But please, we must be careful not to whine <laughs> about the hardships of following Jesus. Isn't it tempting to do that? Oh, woe is me. I'm being persecuted. 
God, I think, doesn't want that to happen because he's told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, secular people, the non-religious people, they just think we're fools. They, they just think we're foolish. They say, well, you're unscientific. You don't understand philosophy. You don't understand sociology. You're just foolish. And they, they just kind of dismiss us. Paul says that's what secular people do. And then he says, but then there's the religious person. And the religious person takes offense. Sometimes the views of our culture are not wrapped in religious jargon, but it's a religion to a lot of people, their way of life. Their worldview is a religion to them. And so when we talk about the gospel of Jesus, that's something that is easy for them to take offense at and become very defensive. And so they push back out of defensiveness. But this is what Paul says. To those who embrace the gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation. And so when our culture is exposed to the truth claims of the gospel, through the lives of followers of Jesus, pushback is something that might even be expected. In fact, look at what Jesus said in John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So teenagers, be encouraged because Jesus experienced the same thing. (laughs) And it's worth following him. Here's what I'd like to suggest as a principle to think about as we work through this letter. God will honor us as we honor him by being faithful when culture pushes back against us. Faithfulness and pushback for Jesus honors him because it's our way of identifying with him. And of course, his death is the highest persecution, isn't it? But his resurrection is the highest expression of overcoming that persecution. Verse 8, Jesus says, I'm the one who died because I was persecuted, yet I'm now living. I rose from the dead. And he is a powerful Savior. He has overcome the persecution. And in him, we too will be a living sacrifice to him. And then look at verse 10. God will give us the crown of life. He said, be faithful even at the point of death, and I will give you your victor's crown. There's a reward for being faithful to him. And then look at verse 11. Verse 11 tells us that we will not need to be afraid of the second death. Now, what is the second death? Well, the second death is described for us in Revelation chapter 20. I won't turn there, but I'll just explain it to you. The first death is the death of our physical bodies. The second death, according to Revelation 20, is that time when those who are not believers are cast 
into the lake of fire. That's almost, that's almost too horrible of an idea to think about. I, I don't like to think about it. It's a horrible thing to contemplate. But the holiness of God demands that there be righteous justice. And Revelation 20 calls that the second death. But if we follow Jesus, he is the one who rose from the dead. He is the one who gives us life. He's the one who gives us the crown of righteousness. And he's the one who says, you need not fear the second death. So, as we experience pushback in our culture, and I don't have to explain a lot to you about pushback in our culture. I think we all know what, ha- what is happening in our culture today. And if you don't know what's going on in the public schools or at the universities, talk to students. Help them help you understand just what type of environment they're facing in these types of contexts. But this letter to the church at Smyrna is not all gloom and doom. He gives us three ways for us to think about and remain faithful in times of pushback because of our fellowship with Jesus. First, think about the fact, the truth, that in the midst of suffering, we are rich. In the midst of suffering, we are rich. Verse 9, I know your affliction and your poverty, yet you are rich. What in the world does he mean by that? 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He's talking about walking with God. He's talking about everything that is ours because Jesus Christ lives in us. Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That makes us rich. That makes us rich. One pastor said, There's a fellowship with Christ and an anointing of the Spirit that you can experience in the face of suffering, it's greater than anything you will experience at another time. So it's in the midst of pushback that God comes to us in a very special and personal, exaggerated way. One pastor in England said, I never knew in my nine years of preaching so much of Christ's love as he taught me when I was in, in prison for six months for preaching the gospel. Christ was more alive to him, more precious to him in the midst of his suffering. Listen to the testimony of John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress. He was in prison for 12 years in Bedford, England. Took him away from his wife and his nine children for 12 years. This is what he says. After I'd been a Christian for a long time and had been preaching about five years, I was arrested at a meeting of good people in the country. When he was arrested, he says, I have never in all my life had so much of the word of God opened up so plainly to me before. Those scriptures that I saw nothing particular in before have been made in this place, prison, to shine upon me. Also, Jesus Christ was never more real to me than now. 
Here I have seen and felt him indeed. I never knew before what it really was for God to stand beside me at all times. So when pushback comes to us, when, when someone says, Oh, you're a goody two Christian, and they laugh at us. Remember, that's the time when God comes to you and says, I identify with you. I will show myself to you. I want to remind you that in your pushback, you are rich. Second, God's presence overcomes fear. Verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Two scriptures to think about here. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help when? In trouble, in pushback, in suffering. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though his waters roar and foam and the mountain quake with their surging. We will not fear. And then Matthew 10, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hair of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. When pushback comes, we need not be afraid. And then third, Jesus tells the church in Smyrna, Testing produces proven character. He says, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. Now, why is it that God allows us to be tested? Well, Romans chapter 5 says, We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character honors and glorifies God. That's what happens with testing when we find pushback in our culture. Peter says, Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. What a great promise that is from the word of God. So God will honor us as we honor him by being faithful when culture pushes back against Jesus. I want to conclude with a comment about this. There's something attractive about this type of a life. There's something that draws us to a person who suffers well. There's something that that is attractive to us about someone who puts up with the pushback from culture well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian pastor. Uh, he was involved in the resistance against uh, the Nazi regime in World War II. And towards the end of World War II, he was arrested and he was condemned to death. Listen to what happened. He left his prison room on the way to the gallows in 1945 and he said to Payne Best, this is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. Ten years later, the camp doctor wrote this. 
At the place of execution, he said a short prayer, and then he climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have never seen a man die so entirely submissive to the word of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's death was attractive. Colin Smith, who was one of our pastors in the Chicago area, said this, I draw strength from the example I see in some of you standing up under great pressure. I won't give you names, but I say to myself, if he can stand up under what he is facing right now, I can stand up under what I am facing right now. The greatest service you may ever offer to Jesus is to stand and to love him still in the face of pressure and opposition. The way that we handle the pushback from our culture can be attractive to the cause of Christ. The way that you and I handle pushback from our culture might impact somebody who's watching. And you never know about the way that we handle, the way that we are faithful in the midst of the pushback in our culture. Students, in the way that you are faithful to God in your classes, in your schools, whether it be in high school, middle school, or whether it be on a college campus, the way that you are faithful to Jesus is attractive to those who are watching. You never know who is watching. And you never know the impact your life will make on someone else because of your faithfulness to Jesus in the midst of pushback. Let's pray for one another to be faithful in our culture in the midst of pushback. Father in heaven, we recognize that it's hard sometimes to be a Christian. Sometimes there's a price to pay. And Lord, we know in history that there are those who pay the ultimate price. Help us, Lord, in your calling on our lives to recognize that even in the midst of our suffering, we are rich. That we have no need to fear. And that you will use these experiences to build proven character in our lives. Help us to support each other, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to stay faithful to you in the midst of whatever it is that we face because of walking with Jesus Christ. May you be honored in the way that we are faithful in the midst of pushback in our culture. In Jesus' name I pray.